Welcome back to Section 229 Creighton Basketball Talk. I am your host, Austin Gall. Back again. Happy March. Dan, I've got Dan uh, Dan Hall with me here on the podcast today. Again, having uh, Dan here with me has been a pleasure, so I invited him back for another episode. Dan, how are you doing? Fantastic. Thank you for having me again, Austin. Yeah, I feel a little bit better uh, with a Butler win, but uh, <laughs> all things considered, we still got a shot. Yeah, yeah, for sure. An interesting week of Creighton hoops, for sure. But I was thinking about it this week, man. I mean, usually this this time in the season, we would be seeing each other two or three times a week, you know, uh, up at Section 229 at Chai Health. And I just I had a I had a little reflection moment this week. I was like, damn. This is the first year. I know I, I thought about this prior to the season. This is not a new new thought for me, but this late in the season, I'm just like, damn, I really miss going to home games. <laughs> this year has been incredibly difficult, not only, you know, just with, you know, the whole pandemic going on, but not having basketball has been, it's been weird. You know, it's been really weird not being able to go to games for the first time since I was in junior high. You know, I mean, I usually look forward to that during the Omaha winter, <laughs> you know, having those games to go to and having something to do during the winter. So can't wait to be back there next year. But uh, we've got a lot to unpack today. We had it. We just got a, just got uh, done with our interview for today. And I can't wait to get into that. But um, can't believe it. Creighton's only got two games left in the season. I mean, and what do you know? Creighton now controls their destiny in terms of winning a regular season title with a loss at Butler this weekend. Villanova essentially erased a tough loss for Creighton at home versus Xavier this weekend and put all this back into play. So we're set up for a crazy weekend or a crazy week, I guess, of hoops starting Wednesday night. If they can pull it off uh, and beat Nova on the road, they fight for a championship on Saturday with their last home game of the season, senior night. A little bit of a revenge game versus Butler. So, yeah, lot to uh, lot to look forward to this week. You know, I mean, Creighton has been towing that four seed line in most major media outlets. You know, save Jerry Palm from CBS, who is, is smoking something crazy, listing Creighton as a seven seed in the in the tourney for uh, this month. But I mean, so with two wins this week, if that happens, who knows where they're going to end up? You know, I mean, they they could end up anywhere from a three to a five. So it's going to be really fun to watch. Obviously getting that win over Villanova is going to be, is going to be key. You know, I mean, having another top 10 win, you know, Villanova stayed inside the top 10 with the AP poll coming out today. It is Monday night. So it is today. Um, but, you know, I mean, top 25 teams are losing left and right right now, especially last week. So there's <laughs> there's quite a bit that can happen between now and Selection Sunday. And don't forget about the Big East tournament. If Creighton comes off, you know, and beats Villanova on the road and Butler at home, they can string together a couple wins there in New York. This conversation is going to get a hell of a lot more interesting. But, uh, you know, I mean... We can all get to this after the next game. You know, we have to beat Villanova first for this to fall into place. So let's let's focus on that. <laughs> you know, let's uh, let's focus on getting the win on Wednesday. But Dan, I mean, what I mean, what do you think? We've got a huge week at Creighton Hoops coming. Uh, what do you what do you what do you think about the game on Wednesday? At least, I think the Jays don't want us to sleep well. Every time we feel like we've got an opportunity, we're just like, nah, we're we're, we're going to keep pushing it down the line. So push is coming to shove on Wednesday. Um, honestly, I Villanova plays up tempo too, so it's a style that benefits us. Yeah, it's going to be in Philly, but you know, there's I don't believe there's going to be fans there, so that home court's kind of neutralized. They just have to be locked in. They can't get complacent and be like, "Oh, well, we blow these guys out last time." And I don't. I think it's hard to take a 
uh, to not take a Jay Wright team seriously. Yeah. And, you know, I mean, I think the one thing that's on my mind for this week is, is not looking past Wednesday. You know what I mean? We, there's no reason to look past Wednesday right now. I mean, obviously Butler is playing really good ball. I mean, they just beat Villanova. Um, they've beaten us, you know, it's, it's going to be a hell of a hell of a game on Saturday if we are able to get that win on Wednesday. So buckle up. You're right. I'm going to, my sleeping schedule is going to be fucked this week. Sorry for the, sorry for the F bomb there, but it's going to be a crazy week, especially if we win, I'm going to be amped up. So let's, uh, let's hope that happens, but let's get into our episode for today. We've got uh, Brody Darren coming on the podcast. We just had a really, really good hour long conversation with him about Creighton hoops, his time at Creighton. Um, and this huge week that Creighton is coming up against, as well as a ton of great stories <laughs> from his times at Creighton. Some really good uh, Southern Illinois stories that we just had uh, at the end of that episode. So before that, be sure to follow us on social media, Section 229 Talk on Twitter, and then just search our name on Facebook, which is Section 229 colon Creighton Basketball Talk. Like us, talk with us, engage with us. We're all ready. My personal handle is let it fly. See you on Twitter. I'm always begging for people to interact with me. Dan, you, you're on Twitter too. What's, what's your, what's your handle so people can find you? OMA like Omaha, the letter two PDX. So if you're taking a flight from Omaha to Portland, I am a giant blazer fan. So OMA to PDX on Twitter. Well, we love it. Okay, let's get into our episode for today. Our conversation with Brody Darren. Enjoy. Brody, welcome to the show. Glad to have you on. How are you doing, sir? It's I feel like it's it's kind of it's weird for me because I feel like my my worlds are colliding here. As a as a young kid, I always remember my dad specifically being really high on your game and always telling me to watch <laughs> how you play in the post so I could learn how to play in the post. I love watching your game. My family is was a huge fan of you back in the day. So it's great to have you on, man. How are you doing? I appreciate it, guys. I yeah, thanks for having me. Um I'm I'm not. I'm going to reserve judgment on your dad's intelligence if he was modeling <laughs> your uh, game after mine. But uh, anyhow, no, I appreciate you guys having me on. This will be fun. Well, I'm I'm originally from you know around the Carbondale area, so I think my dad was really familiar with you know with Missouri Valley basketball back in the day. So when we moved to Omaha from St. Louis, he was you know we we kept up with Creighton pretty pretty well, and you know he loved he loved his post players. So it was. <laughs> You were a you were a common name in our household, but uh, so I mean, let's let's kind of jump in here, man. Uh, Phil Creighton fans in on what's the what's been going on with you since you graduated. I mean, it's been nearly eighteen years since you've been in a, uh, a Blue Jay uniform, so a lot obviously has changed in your life. I mean, just give us yeah. a brief rundown of what you've done since you've graduated. Um, you know, I mean, most fans stay pretty up to date with what you do since you're a color commentator for sixteen twenty along John Bishop, alongside John Bishop. But uh, for those that don't know, just kind of briefly fill us in. Yeah, no, I, um, I fell into the software consulting world uh, in 2005, and I've been in that space for the last 16 years. Um, so, and I'm, I'm an entrepreneur. I've always kind of wanted to start businesses. And so in 2014, I started a business. I ended up uh, selling that to my partner in 2019. I bought into another company, um, but I've been existing in this world of, of 
enterprise software for like 50, the last 16 years. Never expected to be in it. Didn't major in anything to do with computers. Uh, I thought I was going to be a physical therapist and, uh, you know, just kind of fell into this industry and it's been a good one for me. And uh, been back here in Omaha since 2008. Um, about a year later, I got a call to, to help out T. Scott Marr on uh, what was then 590 to call a game or two as a backup color commentator. Um, for, for Nick Baugh also at that time. And that's just sort of continued. So I continue to keep up the radio thing just as a side gig to keep me involved with creating basketball. And um, otherwise a season ticket holder, you know, my kids are big basketball fans and specifically Creighton fans were big, you know, continue to support the Blue Jays. Um, have gotten to know Greg McDermott and his staff, you know, pretty well over the years. And a former teammate of mine, you know, Alan Huss joined the staff a few years ago. Um, and so that's been fun to have him back too. So, um, yeah, raising three kids, all three of my kids have been born, um, since we've lived here in Omaha. So, uh, we're in the West side district of married. My wife stays home, raises the kids and I try to grow our business. Hopefully a couple new blue Jays on the way here. Yeah. <laughs> well, if, uh, if nothing else, the, the fandom will definitely carry over. And, um, yeah, we're saving our shekels already so that we're prepared to pay that free, you know, if, if that comes to pass. So, Brody, you're kind of doing this to stay in the loop and kind of just for fun doing the broadcasting gig. Do you ever see that expanding at all? Or is it just more uh, they call you when you need you? And that's uh, that's kind of how it goes. Yeah, it's more of a fun thing. I mean, I would tell you if uh... – you know, if I won the lottery tomorrow and, and uh, you know, never desired for whatever reason to, to truly work again, uh, I, you know, maybe I would invest more time in the, the broadcasting thing. But for the most part, I, I, I fully expect it to be uh, for giggles, you know, side gig and to keep me tied into the program. Well, I got to imagine working with John, you have a few giggles there. <laughs> but... yeah. yeah, it's always a good time. Uh, and John's got all sorts of energy and very passionate guy. We're, I, we're, I, I used to listen to T Scott back in the day. Like the game has changed so much, you know, you go like, I would just sit in my room, listen to the radio. And now you've got every game on TV. So it's a nice opportunity to get more faces involved. Like Nick's on TV now, but that right. gives, you know, you're able to pop on or, uh, you know, I think Josh comes on sometimes and a few other guys, but aside from that, let's, uh, let's talk more about the curtain or the current Creighton basketball team. Yeah. Um, it might not be a big deal, but winning the game over uh, Villanova for seeding, you know, uh, is it going to matter where they're at? I mean, winning the, the conference title is a big deal, but as far as the seeding goes at this point, you see it making a big difference. No, I mean, I think the loss to Z, I mean, the, the win over Nova definitely helped uh, move the needle uh, on the national scene. Obviously that game was on big Fox you know, Nova was a top five team. There was a lot of things that were were favorable from from Creighton for from that perspective in terms of seeding. Um, I think the loss to Xavier probably makes it pretty difficult for Creighton to play to a three at this point. I think it's you know a four, five, six is what the destiny is uh, most likely right now, um, with more you know more likely around the five line falling into play. But I could see plus or minus one from there, just depending on how the remainder of the season plays out. Um, you know, it, it, that's me putting my prognostication hat on, which, you know, may be overly uh, ambitious. But, um, yeah, I, I think it would be pretty difficult at this point, perhaps if they 
you know, beat Nova on the road, you know, beat Butler at home and run through the Big East tournament. Maybe you play to a three, depending on how everything else falls into play. But I kind of expect, uh, you know, four, five, or six, four of the best, six of the worst at this point um, on the seed side of things. Uh, of course, I would I would love to see <clears throat> closer to that four than the five or six. You hate the five, twelve, or the six, eleven matchups uh, when you're on the bottom side of it. Yeah, you you always. I mean, it makes me wonder right now. I mean, if they're if they're really even caring about winning the regular season title or just getting to March and just going from there. You know what I mean? Greg kind of talked about alluded to that this week. He was like, you know, I don't think we really. It doesn't matter that as much this year if we get the season, you know, conference title in the regular season. I mean, do you agree? I mean, should we just get to March and just go from there? No matter the seating, you know, I think everybody's going to be playing with the chip on their shoulder especially this year. I think everybody goes in with those neutral site games, no crowd, 25% crowd. I mean, I mean, do you think it matters as much th- this year, all of the semantics that go on at the end of the season in terms of seating and things like that, or should yeah, we just I, get there? I, I, I do feel like it, it, that, that this year it does matter a little bit less, just from the perspective of all of the pauses and all of the, you know, the reality that some teams are going to play 13 games and some teams are going to play 20 or, you know, or whatever, right. And depending on the league they're in and what their schedule dictates, um, it makes it really difficult to compare apples to apples on a year like this. Um, and so, yeah, what, what you do have hopefully is the common denominator can be those that have done the right things to qualify for the NCAA tournament. And, and the tournament is probably going to be, uh, you know, Sands fans and Sands a single site situation that, you know, over the three week span, you're going to have teams, you know, basically quarantining in, in Indy. Um, so outside of those things, the reality that it's winter go home and, you know, the 68 teams that are going to qualify and, and all of those elements uh, are going to remain the same as, as any other year, you know, generally speaking. So that's probably the closest thing in terms of an apples to apples comparison, whereas, the regular season is just so much different this year relative to other years. So um, yeah, there's, there's an element of truth to that. I mean, I'm certain that Creighton would love to say that they won the Big East regular season title again, but um, not only that, but back to back years, which would be, which would be huge. Yeah. But particularly after having the, the pause happen at the time that it did last year, and you know, the, the inability to see through the season with the momentum that Creighton had at that time, um, I know that, you know, probably the biggest thing on their mind is really performing in the, in the NCAA tournament. Yeah. And it's kind of incredible that they haven't had another shutdown since, because it seems like almost every other team in the big East has really struggled with that. Creighton's been uh, largely lucky, you know, Sands the first week of the season when they did have to shut down, they haven't had any sort of shutdown. So they've been largely in, you know, in a, in a really good role of playing games consistently while everyone else is kind of taking, you know, a couple of days off here, fully shut down, whatever, whatever, you know, I mean, Creighton also has had, they had a brutal 11 day stretch <laughs> before this last DePaul game, which was kind of an unusual thing for the season as well. But I mean, do you think that, you know, some of these pauses for some of these teams, you know, like, you know, Nova had, or, you know, early in conference season, do you think that's going to come back to haunt them right now since they haven't been consistently playing, you know, all year, or, I mean, do you see that as a non-factor? No, I think the timing of it is the biggest deal, right? Like when, when they've occurred, um, you know, like Georgetown's pause for like 20 days in January. Um, brutal. You, just brutal. Uh, 
honestly. And you know, you just, just trying to build any level of momentum and, and um, you know, but I would tell you that, that I think, you know, at times, depending on, on the actual protocol and what the circumstances were and whether the team's able to do anything at all together, or if it's literally like, like Georgetown was like, they were just shut down for, you know, a couple of weeks. That's really detrimental because that's that many more practices that you lose. And, and so, you know, we've seen obviously in this college basketball season, teams with seniority and that have been around together for a while have had the opportunity to perform generally speaking better than others, Creighton included, um, because you just don't have that number of reps. You didn't have that, that preseason opportunity that you normally have, you know, in the off season, guys are only getting together in small groups off the court, all of the things that come with building a locker room and a culture and a commodity, you know, a culture, uh, and consistency and all of those things, uh, so I would tell you that, yeah, I think there's a detriment, but I think the detriment is quantified a little bit by the timing of it. Um, and so, you know, Creighton's pause for 11 days when, when, when it happened, you knew that they would, you know, coming out of that, trying to reapply, get back into the sort of game mode would, um, would probably show up in performance for a little bit. But I think overall, I would take that at any, you know, if I could get an 11 day, you, you know, a break in between games in the middle of February, right before I'm going to hit the full on stretch run and I can work on stuff on just my squad and trying to get my second team, a bunch of reps and, you know, work on things that we hadn't had a chance to work on for months. Um, I take that on any, any season, um, uh, you know, as long as, as long as you're able to, you know, have enough buffer of time before the real, um, you know, the real time where you have to perform, which Creighton, you know, had four games coming out of that 11 day break until the regular season. So I would take that if I were them. Yeah. You know, in a sense, I think the big East has kind of fought an image problem all season because they've had so many teams on pause that honestly, some good teams, I don't think Butler is a bad team. You know, I mean, they proved that yesterday when they played Nova and I don't, I honestly don't think that Marquette's a really bad team either. And I don't think Georgetown's as bad as they appear, <laughs> appear to be either, you know, but uh, you know, what really impressed me this last week was Marquette, you know, speaking to, speaking to, you know, some of your, you know, comments about, you know, s- s- teams that don't have seniors and have some, maybe some high turnover Marquette went to North Carolina this week, you know, in Chapel Hill and beat UNC on the road. And I, I mean, I think that speaks to how strong this conference is. I think it's just been kind of hidden behind all the shutdowns that have really happened around the conference. So interesting to kind of look at in this weird season, but I mean, furthermore on that, I mean, who do you think is going to be the biggest key off the bench for Creighton down the stretch here in March? I mean, we've seen some really good play from Ryan Kalkbrenner. We've seen some, some flashes from Alex O'Connell and Antoine Jones as well. And I mean, obviously Sharif Mitchell has played really well too, but I mean, who do you think is going to be the biggest key for Creighton down the stretch in March? Yeah. um, You made good points there. I think, um, you know, Ryan has been the most consistent of that group in terms of an offensive contributor. And, and, you know, not that Ryan doesn't contribute on both ends because he does with his shot blocking ability and and rim protection. Um, so I really think it's the two wing players. I think it's Antoine and Alex O'Connell. Like, I think there needs to be consistent production from those gents uh, when it comes off the bench. And you could consider them. I'm just going to combine those guys right now um, because either of them, you know, are looking to spell, you know, Mitch, DJ, or Denzel. And you've got, I mean, and you're talking about, 
you know, between those three guys, you're talking about 20, 30, you know, 36 points a game. So there's 36 points a game that one of those two guys is coming in to, to spell between those, you know, three guys that they, they would be coming in to, to, to give a break to. And you've got to be able to get some level of offensive production from those gents. Um, you know, we saw, we saw some positive, I think, uh, flashes in the DePaul game. Obviously, I thought both of those gentlemen played very well. I thought, you know, Alex had 10 points in that game. Antoine didn't score, um, but I thought he made a couple of really good defensive and offensive plays in that game, although he didn't score. Um, so I, I think those two guys are the key. I mean, I'm kind of expecting Ryan to contribute. And, you know, Ryan's been able to contribute more in certain matchups than others. Um, you know, Sharif is going to do what he's expected to do. He's going to come in and lock up, you know, the primary ball handler for the opposing team when he, when he has the opportunity to get in there and disrupt things defensively um, and then just try to distribute the basketball. So, um, you know, and I think he'll continue to do that well. But, yeah, those two guys, uh, Antoine and Alex O'Connell, I think are the real keys. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I totally agree. I mean, I think Antoine Jones is doing a lot of stuff that just doesn't show up on the stat book either. You know, I think he's he's making some hustle plays, bringing some energy off the bench and I mean, largely making the most of his, you know, mi limited minutes that he's had the last couple of games. I think he only I think he played less than less than eight or nine uh, in this last game that we had, but neither here or there. He's had he's had some really good some really good flashes and you're right just getting some consistency out of both of them you know no matter no matter who's on the floor you know they're they're really going to have to bring some energy down the stretch here but i want to get into talking about your uh career with creighton i mean um you know what that's that's what we do on this podcast so now that we talked about uh current creighton basketball hoops i'm going to talk about uh, some legacy stuff so i mean obviously you had a really great career you played three years with creighton so um, you know, you're very familiar with the program, you know, you, you had, you had, you were a part of some of those, those best teams in the early 2000s eras. So it, there's always a lot to talk about. So I picked out a couple things that I do want to talk about, but I want to start out just talking briefly about your, your, you know, your recruitment out of high school. Um, you obviously had some attention coming out of high school, your first team, all state, your final two years, honorable mention, all American by USA today. Um, you know, you, you had a storied career coming out of Harlem high school, which is a very competitive basketball school as Dan, as Dan has informed me, but uh, talk a little bit about, your early days playing hoops in high school and your recruitment that ultimately landed you at a big 10 school at Northwestern. So, um, I was a, a late bloomer kid. Um, I, as a sophomore in high school, I played about a total of six minutes of varsity basketball. And, um, we had a new coach come in between my sophomore and junior years of high school, um, named Mitch Osborne. Mitch Osborne is still the, the Harlan community high school head basketball coach there. I owe so much to Mitch um, for so many reasons in terms of my development as a player, as well as just promoting uh, and getting me exposure at all that I wasn't even aware of. So he came in my uh, before my junior year, we went to a tournament in Sioux City that summer um, before the school year had started and uh, playing against other you know, Iowa area high schools. And uh and we played like three or four games or what have you on a weekend tournament. And he, he came, he let me know like, Hey, you have division one basketball ability. Like you have that sort of potential. I'm going to help you get there. And I had, it wasn't even on my radar. Matter of fact, I was a, I was a four sport athlete growing up. And so I, I wanted to play football. Um, it was my plan to be the starting quarterback for the Iowa Hawkeyes. <laughs> and, uh, that, uh, that obviously didn't pan out, but, um, 
uh, I continued to play three sports through high school, baseball, football, basketball. And um, anyway, long and short of it, uh, my junior year, I kind of, you know, sort of went, came out of nowhere and, and had a good season that year. And, and as you reflected, you know, first team all state, what have you, um, started getting noticed by a number of schools, Creighton very early on because of the proximity. My hometown's Marlins only an hour up the road from, from Omaha. Um, and so Dana Allman, our head coach at the time, um, you know, had, had made, actually it was Greg Grenzing, one of our assistants that made contact and it started had, having conversations. And, and so Creighton was on my radar very early on. Um, things just sort of progressed from there. My recruitment, you know, following my junior year in the summertime, um, I ended up basically my top three schools out of, out of high school before I made my decision were Northwestern, Marquette, and Creighton. Um, and my mother is from Evanston. Um, I kind of an academia oriented kid. And so the uh, appeal of Northwestern's academic program was, uh, was certainly there. And I grew up as a, as a Big Ten fan and um, and so, you know, and, and uh, there was a gentleman by the name of Kevin O'Neill who I played for it in Northwestern, who was a very, very good salesman and recruiter and was pitching, you know, all of the right things to convince me to come on board uh, along with a few others. And so I did um, uh, turning down Creighton and, and Marquette in the process. And um, it was, uh, you know, it was uh, what I thought was the right decision at the time. I spent a year there. We went 0-16 in the Big Ten. Uh, I actually just looked at our season stats the other day. We were the last team in division one basketball and scoring average points per game. Oh my gosh. We scored 51 points per game. Um, there was 318 division one teams that year and we were 318 out of 318. We were also last in field goals. Um, we were sorry, fourth to last in field goals per game attempted and dead last in field goals per game made. Um, it was awful and we got rolled and the big 10 was the best uh, conference in the, in the country that year. Uh, Michigan state won the national title that year. Ohio state also made the final four that year. Um, and we just got steamrolled through the whole conference and we were just terrible. Um, and you know, I, uh, I didn't see eye to eye with, with Kevin O'Neill. And so I decided to transfer and upon transfer, um, you know, I, I went back and, and called, called Coach Owen. Um, I called a few other coaches. Um, I had a good relationship with Fran Fischilla. Fran calls games now as a color analyst on the Big 12 network, or on, uh, for the Big 12 on ESPN frequently. Uh, but he was coaching at New Mexico at the time. Um, I called the University of Iowa. Um, and, uh, I, you know, a few other schools. There wasn't a transfer portal. It was a whole different process, you know, back at, at that time. Yeah, it's uh, really it's really evolved like into a, an incredible level these days. <laughs> no doubt about it. Um, so anyhow, long and short of it, I, I took a, a visit to Creighton, um, and you know it was familiar. It was familiar territory for me already. Um, and Creighton, it, it, you know, coach was was having had this program on the rise. Rodney Buford had been here. You know, uh, Ryan Sears and Ben Walker just had, had finished their well my freshman year would have been their junior year. Um, so they had competed in the NCAA tournament that year, um, lost in that round that, that year to Louisville. Um, and, uh, it, it, I'm sorry, not Louisville to Auburn, excuse me. And I watched them in that, in that game. And, you know, of course I knew Kyle Corver from high school. I knew Mike Lindemann from high school. Um, you know, anyway, I came on my visit, 
Uh, Kyle was my, you know, was my host. Um, we had a great weekend, a bunch of my buddies from, from Creighton, including guys that, you know, didn't play and stuff that I, I got to know you that I met on my visit and then became friends and are still friends of mine to this day. They remember that weekend. It was kind of this legendary weekend on Creighton campus, uh, for a number of different reasons, not because I was there, but because, uh, spring fling was a, a concert series that used to happen on campus. Oh yeah. We had, we had Bush was the, was the, uh, oh, man. And they were like, you know, only like four years, maybe five removed from like their peak, like when they were at the top of their game. So it was kind of a big deal to have Bush there. Um, you know, it was an April, it was an April weekend. The weather was awesome. You know, all of the, like everything fell into place really well for it to just be an awesome, awesome experience. Plus, you know, I liked what, what coach was doing here. I liked that. I felt like I could help right away. Um, and I knew guys on the team, right. With Mike and Kyle. And, um, so yeah, it was a great decision. I really enjoyed the experience. Obviously still here in Omaha and a, a big fan of Creighton, the university and, and the program. So I gave you a lot more than what you asked for, which was high school recruiting, but, uh, yeah, there you go. No, that's great, man. I do have a high school question for you though, just because. <laughs> I grew up, I went to Lewis Central, so I was on some of the receiving ends of those Harlan clashes. All right. So, like, to me, when I think of Harlan, I think of almost like, you know, Texas. Like, it feels like sports are bigger than Harlan for people who are not aware. So, like, you know, championship contention or you're bringing home the gold every year and, like, football, basketball, everything like that. Do you feel in an atmosphere like that, that – gave you a competitive edge maybe for your development or being able to step in right away? I mean, aside from Northwestern, but I mean, at least at Creighton, did that help at all? Yeah. Uh, it's a good question, Dan. I would say um, you're right. There's a culture in that town uh, and I was fortunate to grow up in it, um, which had primarily surrounded, you know, in a small town, Harlan's a 50 to about 5,000 residents, give or take. Okay. And it's got a, it's a consolidated school system. It's a class 3A school. Um, there's five classes in, in Iowa and it's the fourth largest. It'd be like a class B school in Nebraska. And um, I, for example, I graduated with like 156 in my graduating class. Okay. So I'm just trying to give your listeners some perspective on the town. Um, and uh, the, there was two in a small town, everything like the whole town really surrounds the school. Everything happens with the school. The school is what matters, right? The social things, the opportunities that, you know, for entertainment and all that are, are, you know, uh, drama at the high school. There are the band concerts, the jazz concerts, and they're the sporting events. And Harlan, uh, when I was growing up was very fortunate to have an incredible band director and uh, a great football team. And so the football coach that I played for, uh, you know, he was in the, in the later, probably the late last, last third of his career, but had already built an amazing program by the time I was in high school. And I had an older brother who was the starting quarterback for, for Harlan too. And, uh, and so my whole, uh, I told you guys, my, my desire was to be the starting quarterback for the Iowa Hawkeyes, right? So my whole plan was, first of all, be the starting quarterback for the Harlan Cyclones. And so uh, from the time I was four years old, this is all I thought about was like playing football for the Harlan Cyclones, right? And so 
Um, and it was just, it was championships. You know, they, they won state championships in 1982, Absolutely. And I, I'm sitting, <laughs> I'm sitting here admittedly looking at the stats from your uh, freshman year season at Northwestern. And yeah, you guys, you guys had a rough year, man. Oh my God. Yeah. I mean, you had a nice little stretch of stretch of games there. You played Nickel State, Jacksonville, Western Carolina, rack up some wins, but big 10 season for you looked pretty rough that year. Can you speak a little bit to that since you've just, since you did it once? I mean, the grind of playing in the big 10, obviously, it's a lot different than playing in the Missouri Valley, but how do you, how do you compare it to what you experienced in, you know, in your, in your years at Creighton in the Missouri Valley? Yeah. Good question. Um, here's a, here's an interesting little tidbit on that. Um, so if you look at, if you're looking at the, the stats from my freshman year, the second game or third game, I forget which it was of the season. I think the second game of the season, we played Evansville. Um, maybe it was the third game. Second game. Okay, thank you. We scored 29 points in that game. 20, 26. 26 points in that game. Thank you. 26 points in the entire basketball game. I believe that we had six at halftime. Yeah, so that's a reflection of two things. We were really bad, um, but the Missouri Valley wasn't bad. Like, you know, we got steamrolled by Evansville, and we got steamrolled by a whole bunch of Big Ten teams. But the, like, for example, uh, they, Evansville that year had a gentleman by the name of Kwame James on the team. He was the most physical player I played against the entire season, including in the Big Ten, which it's a slugfest in the Big Ten. I mean, you're talking about a very, very physical conference. Um, there was nobody that I played against in, in that league that was any stronger, tougher, and more physical than Kwame James. So, you know, it, there's a lot of players in a, a league like the Missouri Valley. You know, you could take probably off most teams at least one or two players that are good enough, athletic enough, skilled enough, whatever you want to say, to play at the Big Ten or the ACC or the Big East now, whatever league, you know, you want to pick out. Um, it's just the volume of those players. You know, there's just not as many of them. Um, but, yeah, that, that season was – it was a very, 
you know, when, when you talk about like think bits of adversity that people go through to help them, you know, that you kind of grow from, um, you know, that which does not kill you type of thing, right. It only makes you stronger. That was definitely what that experience felt like. Um, you know, we go over for 16 in the big 10, we were terrible. We couldn't score. Um, I got injured. I broke my left elbow. Um, so I was out for like a half dozen games or seven games or something like that. Um, you know, it, it was your freshman year of college. So that's always a big adjustment anyway. You know, you're, I was eight hours away from home. There's always just all these things that make it a big change in adjustment. Anyhow, um, that was a, a grind. If you look at that, that, that year, we ended up, we played the way the, the schedule felt. We played Michigan State, who ended up winning the national title in back-to-back games. Yeah, we, the, number number ten and number nine, and you lost by at least the by like know, twenty-five. Yeah, yeah, right. crazy. Yeah, and uh, and I will tell you the um, the practices in between those games, we got beat so bad. I think we played them at home and then on the road, um, and we got beat so bad on the boards. They averaged that that team averaged plus thirteen a game on the glass that year. That Michigan State team, they just destroyed everybody rebounding wise. And so the practice after we got beat at home, which I think was like one of those six a.m. practices the next day type of thing, like we're you get your butts in the gym. Here we go. We they actually put you know a lid on the basket. The ball couldn't go through the hoop. And it was a full on people like the, the, there was no rules on how you could get a rebound. So like people throw full on throwing punches and stuff to go get rebounds. I mean, it was no holds barred, man. And like, cause it was like, well, you're going to learn here. Here we go. So, uh, yeah, it was a fascinating year. I learned a, a whole lot that year, uh, about what not to do and what to do. And, um, my experience would have been entirely different for so many reasons had I come to Creighton right out of school, but um, I don't regret it. You know, it's one of those things that, you, you know, it was, it really sucked at the moment, but I, there's a lot of takeaways and I don't regret making that decision. Yeah. I mean, I imagine it probably puts quite a bit of hair on your chest, man. Losing by that much every night and still coming back out is that's a, you know, that's a kind of an accomplishment in itself, man. I mean, a lot of people, you know, some, some kids would quit, you know, like it's, it shows something that you, you know, stuck it out to the end of the season and really tried to make the best of it. I mean, but you had brighter days ahead. So, I mean, after that, you sit out the 2000 season, 2000, 2001 season, you have three years of eligibility left after that. I mean, do you feel your transfer season allowed you to grow a little bit, you know, getting on the floor with Dana Altman's team? I mean, cause he had, they had some really, you know, talented players in there at the time, you know, Kyle, Kyle Corver was on the rise and, you know, they had Anthony Bowden, Larry, and House. Larry House and you know, I mean, it goes on and on. But I mean, do you think yeah. that transfer year in addition to your freshman year allowed you to grow a little bit more in your game and getting adjusted to Dana's system? Yeah, it was, um, I would tell you, it would probably, it probably helped my confidence on from an offensive perspective um, because, you know, my freshman year, like I said, <laughs> I gave you our statistics as a team scoring wise. And it was like all confidence in being able to score the basketball had gone out the window. And there was like very little focus on even offensive basketball by our coaching staff my freshman year. It was really fascinating. You guys would, would have been flabbergasted by how we practiced. Um, it was like offense didn't matter, um, <laughs> which is weird because you have to score more points than the other team to win. Right, right. Um, 
but so so that year helped like regaining my confidence in you know uh being a, a capable scorer and contributor on the offensive end i i would say um it was really difficult for me to sit that year um i think a lot of people probably reflect that just as a competitor um primarily because i'd come out of the system that was so unsuccessful and come to creighton and, you know, that my, that year that I sat out, the 2000-2001 season was uh, Ben Walker and Ryan Sears' senior year. And there was, you know, there was six seniors in that class. Um, you know, it, it, I felt like I could have been helpful to that team, too. Uh, my skill set was a little bit different than what they had in the, in the post at that time. Um, so I felt like I, you know, I, I could have contributed had I been eligible to play. Um, so yeah, that was hard. Uh, don't get me wrong, but it did, it did build a yearning and a real hunger to do something, you know, significant when, when things changed, you know, when, when I had my turn and had, we had our turn to go because, you know, losing, there were six graduating seniors from that team. And of course, Sears and Walker were the, the, you know, the big names and they had done so much to advance the program at that point. Um, and so the expectations were relatively low for us coming out the, the following year. Um, and, and of course that following year, the 2001 uh, uh, and two campaign is, you know, we kind of, we kind of got off to a little bit of a rocky start and then we went on a tear and I think we finished the Valley 14 and four, uh, won the regular season Valley championship. And then we went on to, to, you know, end up beating, you know, uh, uh, well, beating uh, the Salukis in the state in the, the conference tournament, and then going on and beating Florida in the first round. So that was a heck of a fun, fun run there. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, just to kind of piggyback off that, your first season in a Blue Jays uniform it was it was a, you know largely a memorable season, like you said, twenty three and nine on the year, massive tournament wins. You know, in uh, you know not only the Missouri Valley tournament, but you had that huge one of the biggest wins in Creighton history. You know that that Florida double OT game. Um, you actually fouled out of that game late. <laughs> you were obviously a huge a huge part um, of that game. Uh, but I mean, what do you remember about that moment in Creighton history? Just kind of walk us through, you know, what it was like being in Chicago, playing at the United center and, and just take us through that, that whole weekend. Yeah. Uh, so much fun. Uh, first of all, being at the United center. Well, know. I have to, I have to imagine, I'm sorry to interrupt. I have to imagine it's, it's quite a bit of a departure from your, your freshman season. <laughs> you know, I mean, your, yeah. your freshman season, you guys obviously weren't good, but I mean, you can't, you transfer in and all of a sudden you're in the NCAA, you know, tournament that has to yeah. be, and that has fun, to be huge, huge. Well, funny enough, I played at the United center because of my time in Northwestern, because the big 10 tournament had been held there. So this was the second time that I had played at the United center, but the first time with a, you know, an abysmal team. And we got beat in the first round of the big 10 tournament by Wisconsin and, you know, game over. Um, so coming back here in the, or to the United center in the NCAA tournament was, was super cool. Um, you know, that was obviously my first NCAA tournament experience. So just the whole pomp and circumstance around it is, is really fascinating. Just to, you know, the buzz in the city, you know, they're just, there just is, you know, you got, you guys understand that you've been to NCAA tournaments, at least here in Omaha, if not elsewhere. Um, you know, there's just everything sort of, uh, there, there's just a whole, whole buzz surrounding everything, uh, there. And so anyway, that, that particular experience with Florida, 
Um, they were an incredibly talented team. There was, you know, four NBA players on that roster. Um, yeah, I think uh, Udonis Haslam kind of rings a bell. What was it like going up against him? Yeah, uh, Udonis is he very good player, physical, skilled, had a nice like. Um, he had good feet in the paint and just, you know, didn't make a lot of mistakes, stayed out of foul trouble, could knock down a 17 foot jumper, could put it on the floor. Like he was a load to guard. Um, you know, he reminded me of a little bit more physical, a little bit more post oriented David West. We had played Xavier earlier that year. and David West was on that team and he went on to be an NBA all-star and multi-year NBA player as well. Um, but yeah, Udo is really, really good. Um, David Lee, who would also became an NBA All-Star, was on that uh, squad. He was a freshman, though, and he was kind of a, more of a role player on that team. Uh, Matt Bonner, my ba- Bonner was a 10 or 12-year NBA player, like 6'10", four-man that could shoot it. Um, they, they were just they, – they were incredibly talented. They had been number one team in the country at one point that year. You know, and kind of been up and down a little bit. I think, you know, locker room probably stuff, trying to fit all these egos in and figure that out. So they had all the talent in the world, like enough talent on that team, certainly to make a final four run. So we knew this was, you know, it was a 5-12 matchup. We knew that we were, it was a David Goliath type of situation. But we knew that, you know, at the same time, we had a really, we had really good chemistry amongst our group. Um, we knew that when we, when we were locked in and, uh, you know, played hard and focused on things that we could control, like we stood a chance. And, and of course it took, it took Terrell Taylor getting busy in the second half to, uh, to bring us there. I mean, Terrell hit eight threes after halftime. Um, and it was, you know, he was hitting tough shots too. It was one, that was one of those things. Obviously the, the game winning shot is just, it's a crazy, you know, crossover fadeaway in Brett Nelson's face from like 24 feet. Like it was a tough shot. And I, you know, obviously everybody just goes nuts. Thankfully, um, you know, we're in, we're in Chicago, not a lot of Gators fans. So the place kind of became Creighton fans, you know, they're just rooting for the underdog. So that shot goes in and the whole place goes completely nuts. Um, of course, two nights later, we played Illinois, and the United Center holds 22,000, and 20,000 of them were Illini fans. <laughs> so it was a little bit different atmosphere for the next game. But, um, no, just a, an incredible memory. Uh, Austin you, showing off his uh, Illini cap right there. And had, <laughs> it, was, it was relevant for that moment in time, so I thought flipping it around. Yeah, there you go. Uh, so, yeah, I, I, I mean – you know, it was a bummer. I mean, you know, I had to use up fouls, frankly, on, on Udonis because he's just a really solid player. And so I fouled out of that game. Kyle ended up fouling out of that game, too, um, which is, you know, uh, was a bummer. But, um, yeah, Terrell's heroics were were a whole fun thing to, to be a part of. Yeah, it's kind of unfortunate that you guys did run into that buzzsaw that was Illinois that next game. It was a huge 
you know, being from the Illinois area and then living in Omaha for my family, it was kind of like, holy shit, what do we do? <laughs> you know, yeah, like, yeah, yeah. you know, my dad is a diehard, you know, Illinois fan. I grew up, a, you know, obviously a, an Illinois fan as well. But Creighton had, you know, I, I lived in Omaha since I was like five. So it was like this huge like battle in our house. I remember that that game very vividly. And yeah, I mean, it's kind of crazy, you know, Illinois being that high of a seed and getting essentially a home game you know, at the United right. Center is is incredibly bad luck but um you know nonetheless it was you guys you guys played them from what i remember very tough you know which and they were a good team you know like yeah. if i remember correctly that was one of luther head's teams yeah luther head was on that squad frank williams was their uh point guard and and frank yeah. had, he had 20 after halftime um so he just kind of took over the game we were tied i think the game was tied with 10 minutes to go um we were either down two or it was tied and um uh, yeah frank just kind of put that team on his back and, and willed him to the victory, you know, at, at that point forward. But uh, yeah, they, that was another very, very talented team. Um, that was, you know, Bill Self was at Illinois at the time. You know, it kind of, it just kind of reminds me of how terrible luck Creighton has had in getting placed in some of these tournaments, you know, because you have that Illinois game where if that was played on a neutral court, that might have gone a different way. You look at, uh, you know, Doug and his squad getting matched up in, in North Carolina, you know, with, with that home game, I, I feel like they've had such bad luck, <laughs> you know, with a lot of that. So I'm hoping this year it won't be, won't be anything like that. But, um, you know, I mean, the next season you guys came out firing. There was, I mean, uh, obviously an unfortunate end of that season, but the, uh, you guys were in the top 25, you know, most of that season, you know, Kyle really opened up as a player and started, you know, he, I mean, he had looks as player of the year, things like that. But I mean, you guys had some major wins during that season. I mean, Notre Dame, BYU, you beat Nebraska in that in the in-state rivalry game that we have every year. And then you almost beat Xavier on the road too. I mean, what do you remember about the early grind of that season? Cause it seems like, you know, there wasn't a lot of eyes on you guys at first, but once you started racking up some of those wins, you know, people started looking at Kyle, they're like, Oh my God, this team's actually like, you know, they're over, overperforming again this year. So, I mean, talk a little bit, but a little bit about that early grind in that season. Yeah. Um, well, we, you know, we, we had a lot of experience on that squad um, at that point. And we, we had the fourth all time leading NBA uh, three point shooter in NBA history on that team in Kyle Porter. I mean, yeah. The dude was so good. I mean, he, he shot the living daylights out of the basketball. And, um, you know, and we had a lot of guys that could put the ball in the hole, frankly. I mean, we, if, if you, if you look down the line, um, we didn't have a lot of guys that went off for like 20 plus on a given night, honestly, but we almost every night, you know, we got, we could get double digit contributions from about seven or eight players on that roster easily. So, you know, we could put the ball in the hole. We like to get up and down the floor. We pressed most of the time. Kyle ran the top of that press and he did it well. Um, so it was fun to get, just get up and down the floor and score a bunch of baskets. And, and like, like Creighton teams of, of recent history, you know, we could get on those pops where we'd spout off eight points in 40 seconds, you know, and, uh, and just kind of emotionally bury teams. Um, and we were better, uh, we were better defensively that year, uh, than we had been the, the, the previous year in general. So, you know, I, I think all of those factors, uh, and we, we just had a really good locker room. Um, you know, I, 
for all the heroics that Terrell brought to the, to the table against Florida, um, there was a lot of drama that came with Terrell on, on the court. And um, it seemed like, you know, we as a, as a unit were kind of all going one direction and Terrell was going a different. And so uh, coach made the decision in the off season to, to, you know, uh, basically not renew his scholarship. Um, and so Terrell left the program and a lot of people that, you know, weren't involved in the day to day, um, didn't understand it. We're really concerned, you know, Terrell had just literally just won a ball game for us against Florida. And, um, so they, you know, they didn't understand that, that in, in our perspective for those on the inside, it was going to be addition by subtraction. Um, and it was, and, you know, we came out firing and, and at, at our peak that year, of course, you know, our schedule was entirely different than it is today. And uh, I'm, you know, just envious of even being able to get the games that, you know, would have been envious of being able to get the games that, that Craig gets to play these days. But, um, you know, we felt like we could play with any, any given team in the country on a given night. You know, we might not beat everybody, you, you know, uh, the majority of games in a seven game series, for example. Uh, but, you know, it was KU and, and Syracuse in the national title game that year. And Carmel Anthony and Jerry McNamara, you know, they, they, they beat a really talented Kansas team. And I, I'll tell you that we watched both of those clubs frequently that year. And I felt like on a given night, we, you know, we could have beat either of those teams. Um, so it was fun. It was a whole lot of fun. Um, and the early part of that season, um, you know, I think, I think we were generally achieving what we were sort of expecting of ourselves. Um, and then we, you know, New Year's Eve, we went to Cincinnati and, and uh, had a slugfest with Xavier. And it was another one of those games where Kyle kind of showed what Kyle was capable of and just couldn't quite will us far enough over the top to get that victory. But, man, he put on a show the last two minutes of that game. Speaking of which, so, I, I mean, we've got all these great matchups from, I mean, that whole two-year stretch I feel like was awesome. But um, weirdly enough, my favorite because it just it looking at it now it feels like you guys and especially Kyle were kind of ahead of your time so to speak was mid mid to late January you guys had Evansville at home and it was just my I was up in the rafters Kyle hits nine three-pointers I'd never seen anything like it I mean you got it just seemed like you turn it on like Evansville was hanging around a little bit early on and then just like out of nowhere just over laid the hammer down also it snowed that night too so we didn't have school the next day (laughs) the little cherry on top but that was i mean do you remember anything about that game this is just my selfish question i totally do i don't remember i i think kyle had like seven threes in the first half i want to say like he was on his way to 40 that night and that was a steve a steve um steve murfeld coached evansville team by the way, <laughs> I, I forgot remember, about that. Yeah. And Murph, you know, obviously everybody knows that Murph's on the Creighton staff and has been since, since Greg took the job here. Um, and I remember thinking, I mean, they lost Kyle in transition a couple of times where he, I mean, wide open looks. And I just remember thinking, how in the hell can you not find number 25 in transition? Like, and they weren't a bad Evansville team. They had a couple of good players in that. They were competitive. You know, it wasn't like, Bottom, some years for Evansville was total bottom of the barrel, 
Um, and that wasn't one of those squads for them. And I just remember thinking we came in at halftime. I remember talking to Larry house about it and we were just like, how the hell do they lose Kyle? I mean, like giving him shots, like 24 footers wide open. It's a layup for Kyle Corver. Yeah. I kind of, I, I kind of feel like I say that about teams that lose Mitch Ballack now, <laughs> you know what I mean? It's like, how, like, how the hell do you lose him on the three point line, let alone like three or four steps off the free, you know, I mean like most teams have learned their lesson and they literally just stick someone on him and just shadow him the entire, the entire game now. And he, he still gets off some shots, but um, you know, losing a shooter like that in transition is just like the ultimate basketball sin. Like you're, it, it baffles me. It's like, dude, you know, this kid is going to, pop up from like nearly half court why are you sagging so far off it's just it's wild to me it's it's purely crazy but you know I, I guess my question you know based off of you know what we just talked about with Kyle is you know he kind of instated that early let it fly attitude at Creighton you know I mean he he really got that brand of Creighton basketball kind of you know trademarked you know, for future generations, you know, and after Dana left, Greg came in and picked up right where he left off. But I mean, do you think Kyle kind of gave Creighton that let it fly type attitude when, you know, back in, in specifically during that season? Yeah. I mean, it was, it was part of, um, you know, I don't think it was, it was the program at the time, you know, it, it is the program today, but that was, that was one of those things where Dan is such a good coach and, and he was, he was working with the personnel that he had. And one of his personnel was a six foot seven kid with an incredibly smooth stroke that could shoot from anywhere. Right. And could get it off uh, really quickly. And so it was kind of like, well, embrace the personnel that we have here, you know, and, and Kyle's a guy that he didn't, Kyle didn't take bad shots. Like he, he still did his whole career. He's, you know, he played until he's 39 years old in the NBA and didn't ever take bad shots. Um, and, uh, and bad shots for him, you know, uh, I mean, obviously uh, uh, he might get a double staggered down screen and he's coming off and, you know, turning and facing and shooting all in one motion from 24 feet. Like for Kyle, that's a good shot, you know, when he's feeling good. Um, so I think it was kind of just a product of, of how the team was built. I mean, you could reflect it. I mean, a good reflection of that, Austin, would be take take the team statistics from, from the 2002-2003 season that we're talking about right now and then marry them up to the following year, uh, which was my senior year, where we were very post and, and uh, you know, we, we didn't press. We were very um, paint-oriented team. We had, um, you know, three fifth-year seniors and me, Joe Dabbert, and Mike Grimes that scored a lot of points in the paint. And we slowed it down. We were pretty darn solid defensively. And we played a different, like, grinded-out sort of game. So I just – I think I think it was really just a, an element of, you know, coach maximizing the personnel that he had and, you know, adapting his style of play accordingly. And, you know, we had a first-team All-America and Kyle on that team. And it was like, okay – this is how we're going to play. This is how we're going to be most effective. Um, and it obviously worked. So I think that's I, more of a rarity now. Cause like you see, I, I don't know, man, I, I don't want to, I don't want to kick Nebraska while they're down. I mean, Fred's got to get who he can get, but I still feel like they're trying to play hoy ball when, uh, when maybe they don't have the personnel to do it. Do you think that 
that's i mean the way that dana does it how he he mixes and matches is that something common or do you feel like people are more set in their system well i think it, you have to determine it's just like anything right um they, they have to match up you, you you pick a strategy no matter you know what your your organization is whether you're uh, this an athletic team or your business or whatever it is you've got to determine what your you know your strategic differentiator is going to be and your strategy to go win the the, the, the game in this case um and then you have to have the right personnel playing the right roles and everybody bought into exactly that vision and so I, I think, you know, to just to address the question as it relates to, to um, Nebraska, you know, I think Fred's, Fred's going to be who Fred wants to be, and he's determined that that's the path and the strategy that he wants to employ to try to win ballgames. Um, it's, a, it's a style of play that kids like to play. Um, he's got so many NBA ties that, you know, he can go uh, try. I mean, that's a big part of his recruiting pitch, obviously, right? And so he's going to try to get talented kids that can shoot the basketball that are, you know, he's going to definitely go after the same type of kids that Craig's trying to recruit. I mean, we are definitely neck and neck because it's the same, it's a very similar strategy that we're trying to employ um, to win ball games. And it's not the only one to win basketball games. You know, Virginia plays completely different than Creighton does, you know, uh, Michigan state plays completely different than Creighton does. Um, you know, uh, West Virginia plays completely different. Kansas State plays completely different than Creighton does. So there's different ways. Now, the West Virginia, by the way, I'm sorry, Kansas State is a terrible example for winning basketball games this year. But in, in general, uh, you know, we've seen, I'm mean, just talking about big bruiser. I mean, you could take, uh, we take UConn. You know, UConn plays the game differently than we do. They've got a whole bunch of six, seven athletes, beat you up, physical and then, you know, you throw in a James Book night and they're a dangerous basketball team this year, for example. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think you have to be who you're going to be and then try to recruit your personnel around it at some point. Um, and then on a given year, if you, you know, make, need to make some tweaks and adjustments accordingly, you do. Um, but I think when you're trying to establish a program like that, you've got to figure out what your identity is going to be and just assert it, you know, within the program. I think my uh, computer's broken for a second. I was checking. It looks like Nebraska's won two games in a row. I, I think something's wrong with the internet. But <laughs> yeah, It's been a rough week for the program with Teddy Allen leaving. And, you know, <clears throat> you wish the kid from Omaha success. I mean, obviously he's not from Omaha, but he played in Omaha. Hopefully, you know, hopefully he uh, is, is preparing for the next level and hopefully it all goes well to him. Shout out to him. He's a, he's a heck of a player. So hopefully he finds a finds a, a way to get to the next level. But uh, I kind of want to finish up on some of this Missouri Valley stuff quick. Um, uh, you're, you know, going back to your, your junior year, I mean, you guys ended that, that season on a really nice stretch of wins like we talked about, but um, eventually knocked in the NCAA tournament by Central Michigan in the first round. You ran into Chris Kamen and Mike Manseal had a game. <laughs> I mean, what do you remember about that game and ending the season on kind of a relatively sour note considering, you know, it was Kyle's last season. You guys were, you guys played really well in St. Louis. Just kind of talk about that a little bit. Um, remember I described our level of confidence at times that season? Well, yeah. that was clearly overconfidence at times uh, and reflected in that game. Um, so, you know, we were a six seed, they were an 11. Um, Chris came in uh, 7-1, 265, came in averaging 22 points and 12 rebounds a game. 
Um, I mean, it was, you know, the focus of the whole thing was shut him down. Um, I speaking of fouling out, I believe I fouled out of that game also, um, trying to use up those fouls guarding that dude. Um, and dude, I, I will tell you, they played, you talked about the Salukis and being from the Carbondale area. Um, I remember at times, I mean, our, our entire offense was predicated on, you know, entering the ball to the wing and then making a basket cut. And like the whole offense flew, um, flowed from there. Almost all of our set plays and our just base motion offense did. And so any team, including Southern Illinois and then Central Michigan, that made it really difficult to enter the ball to the wing would disrupt our whole flow. And I remember a couple of possessions where it didn't feel like we were going to even be able to start our offense because they were, I mean, really aggressive, extending out on the wings. Um, you know, they had a couple of good you know, athletic guards that made it difficult there. And they came out and stomped on us. Um, and we were down deep double digits at halftime. And then we came out in the first two minutes of the second half and they grew their lead even further. I think we were down 26 after halftime. It was either 24 or 26 after halftime. Um, of course, Mike Mansell, as you mentioned, just went off. I think he was averaging like seven points a game or something. And then he just had the day of his life against us. Um, but you know, we were a team that were, you know, we were proud, uh, we weren't going to give up and it was, it ended up being obviously too little too late, um, but made a run, cut it to two with like a minute 10 left. And, um, we had a two on one and, Unfortunately, it resulted in a turnover, um, but it was a fast break two on one. And had we converted that, it would have been a tie ball game with a minute to go. And, you know, you never know what happens. But instead, we turned it over their ball. They come down, they score. And then, you know, kind of back and forth affair. They hit free throws down the stretch and that was ball game. Um, but, you know, we as a team out of the Valley, we always wanted the shot at another big name. So I tell you, I mean, getting Central Michigan, not only, you know, matchup wise was difficult because of, of, you know, having Chris Kamen and a future NBA player with that size on that team. But it was honestly like, we wanted a name like, okay, if we're going to play 11 C, I want, I want the sixth place team out of the big 10 or something. You know, we wanted to beat somebody from a bigger league because we just, you know, you're always feeling disrespected and you didn't get games like that. Like we do in the non-con these days. So on that note, Brody, was, were you guys looking ahead in the bracket? I know as a fan, I was, I was looking at, I had Duke circled. Well, that's, that's exactly where I was going, Dan. So we were, we were looking at Duke because we drew central Michigan first round and here you go. You get the blue blood Dukies second round if you win this game. And I will tell you, yes, we overlooked the Chippewas. Like, I think not consciously, but subconsciously, we overlooked the Chippewas and thought we were going to come in, take care of business. And here we go. It's our turn. So, um, yeah, I total bummer way to end that season. Um, yeah, there was a lot of that. That was a tough pill to swallow for a while. Yeah, it's crazy. I'm looking at it now. And, you know, <clears throat> it, at the time, it would have been one of the biggest comebacks in NCAA tournament history had you guys pulled it off. Twenty, I mean, it was, it was 26 points and you would have, yeah, that would have been the biggest comeback in NCAA tournament history. Nonetheless, it was a great game. Um, you know, obviously a, a sour way to end the season, but nonetheless, a, a very great game and a, a, and a hard fought game. But, you know, you come back your senior season, 
you had the unique pleasure of playing both in the Civic Center and the Quest Center. Talk a little bit about what it was like saying goodbye to the Civic Center and then coming back for your senior season, obviously having um, a great season. I mean, that uh, you guys, I think, finished 20 and nine. You had a, a pretty good run uh, there at the end of the season. Um, lost to Nebraska you know, in the NIT that year, but obviously a, a really exciting year for Creighton basketball in the sense that the program is now playing in a 16,000 person, 16,000 seat arena. Um, talk a little bit about the excitement that you, the team kind of went through kind of transitioning from the glory days into the new days. Yeah. Um, I'll give you a couple of fascinating backstories with that. <clears throat> First of all, the decision, Creighton basketball, Dana Altman and Creighton basketball and, and Bruce Rasmussen had to make the commitment that Creighton basketball was going to move to what would become the CenturyLink or uh, CHI Health Center or at that time, the Quest Center in 1999. Okay. So that decision was made in 99. It was four years later that the, the doors were opened. And Dana Altman is a very conservative guy. But talk about a guy that's willing to bet on himself because you got to consider he'd, his team had made one NCAA tournament at that point. They were getting about selling about 3,500 season tickets at that time. And he made the commitment that we're going to move into a 16,000 seat facility, a $300 million building that, you know, the city is going to take out this debt for, right? And this bond issue. And Creighton's going to pay the freight and the rent to go into that building and put the bet on the line. And he did it four years prior to those doors opening. What did he do in the four years in between? NCAA tournament, NCAA tournament, NCAA tournament, NCAA tournament, right? Culminating with Kyle's senior year. So the timing couldn't have been any better, right? From all of that coming together. Um, we were privileged to have the opportunity to open that building. Um, I did miss the Civic because that last year, Kyle's senior year, like, it was fun having, you know, a 9,000 seat arena that was completely packed every night and loud and dingy and all the things that the civic auditorium brought to the table. Um, but at the same time, it was, you know, certainly a privilege to open this new facility and usher in kind of the new era of Creighton basketball. It was definitely different. Um, I think we averaged about 11 or 12,000 fans that year um, or so. And, you know, you put 12, 11,000 fans say in a, 16 what at the time was 16,000 is currently you know now an 18,000 seat facility they they fill in the you know the, right. the end zone, yeah. bus zone, which added a couple thousand more seats and this huge cavernous arena and it was it was like crickets in there relative to what the civic had been you know the prior year but at the same time we knew it was a big deal for the program and you know we were blessed to have that that opportunity um you know that season uh, also was a disappointment when it came down to it. Um, we, we came out, obviously lost so much production, including Kyle and, you know, Kyle, Larry, uh, Larry house and DeAnthony Bowden were, were seniors that we had lost off the previous program. And so Kyle and Larry had been our top two scorers on the previous year. Um, and DeAnthony was a significant contributor on both ends of the floor. So we had lost a lot of production. Um, but we had a lot of returners, including, four fifth year seniors and in, 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 including myself and Nate Funk was a sophomore and he had played a role in the previous year and he stepped up. Tyler McKinney was back for his third year in a row starting point guard. 
Um, and we started off the year 12 and 0. Um, we outperformed, I think, even our own expectations. Um, we did get ranked in the top 25 at that point in, you know, 22, 23, 24, somewhere in there. Um, and then this really strange thing happened uh, to Tyler McKinney. He had uh, an amoeba crawl into his eyeball. And, uh, he, you know, he ended up having to have uh, a, tra a, a cornea transplant. And um, just a freak deal. And so we, we didn't have him for the last 17 games of the season. We went 12-0 and 0 with Tyler. We went 8-9 and 9 without Tyler. So that was kind of the whole difference in the season. Um, you know, Johnny Mathis, who had come in as a JUCO transfer, did a, a great job trying to fill that role. You know, Johnny was really an off-the-ball player and um, uh, like a score-first guy. And, you know, he's trying to play the point guard position and, and did a yeoman's job with, with what he was given to him. But um, Tyler just knew how to run that team and that program and where and when, you know, guys needed the ball. And, um and you know, handed to Tyler, he made a lot of really clutch plays and key points in ball games, and over the course of his career too, when it came down to it. Um, so yeah, it was like you know, it's like losing your starting quarterback uh, on a football team, and that's what we experienced that year. Yeah, oh, for sure. Tyler is a pass, clearly a pass first guy, and never got maybe the headlines that you know those big three, the seniors you had mentioned. So would I mean? most uh, unheralded or underrated teammate that you played with at Creighton? Is it Tyler or is it someone else? Yeah, I think uh, Tyler would be right up there. And then Mike Lindemann would be the other one. Um, I, M Mike was, Mike started for four or uh, three years at Creighton. And I had people ask me at times from, you know, like, why is Mike Lindemann starting? He was a six, six white dude that can barely dunk, uh, like, why is he starting? You know, uh, I don't get it. And Mike just, he would knock down shots. He wouldn't make mistakes. He wasn't a defensive liability. Like, he, you know, he wasn't like a lockdown defender, but he, he, again, it was just, he's a guy that a coach can trust on both ends of the floor. And he's going to set a tone so that when other guys come in that may have better, you know, more physical tools than he does, he's at least set the expectations of the focus and effort and energy required to be expended in there. And so like just setting that bar, you know, and, and so, yeah, I, I think Mike Letterman would be the other one that I would say is the most underrated un, unheralded player I played with. He kind of, he, his career and his style of play loosely reminded me of Grant Gibbs. You know what I mean? Like this, the same, you could trust Grant with your life. You knew he wasn't going to make a mistake. He could pass. He could knock down a shot if he had to. It, a lot of his game, I thought I saw in Michael's game too. I think Michael definitely was a little bit more athletic than Grant was, but you know, or was I mean, he that's, as sassy as Grant? Uh, yeah, neither neither of them are going to win the the you know a jumping contest. Uh, <laughs> and and yes, Grant Grant's a little bit more liable to uh, piss off the opponent than. Yeah. than I look at that senior season that you guys had, and I kind of, I, I, I kind of draw a parallel, you know, to that team with Mo Watson, who started off super strong. You know, they, I think they won like 16, 16 of their first season. Yeah. yeah, sixteen and one going into the Villanova game, right? Yep. yep. And then obviously has that that tear in his in his knee, and it's over. And you know, they they split 
I think they split their games after that. It, it reminds me, it's it's this the similarities are definitely there, and it's it's a t- a tough way to end that season, uh, you know. Nonetheless, but uh, I mean, okay, what's what's ended on this last question? We'll get you out of here. I really appreciate the time. This has been a great interview, and I, I have like a bunch more questions we could ask. Maybe we'll do a part two here sometime <laughs> next year when next season kicks in. But uh, SIU or Wichita, who do you despise more? I mean, can any team in the Big East reach that level of rivalry in the Big East? We talk about this on every podcast. We love the rivalry question, especially with our with our older blood, you know, Creighton alums. So, to kind of talk a little bit about you know those rivalries that you had back in the day and and what you see uh, in the Big East rivalries these days. I disliked the uh, Wichita players more, but I disliked the SIU fans more. <laughs> Uh, Car- Carbondale is a, and, and we've talked about this too on another podcast. I, I think I talked about it with Jordan Scurry because he had never been to Carbondale before, but Carbondale is, is a very weird place. I think people from Omaha don't really get the sense if they've never been there, what Carbondale is like, but the people there are crazy. They're absolutely out of their minds. Uh, yeah, there's no doubt about it. Um, I'll tell you a couple of quick stories on that one. Uh, Cause we're here and this is a podcast, so I can't. <laughs> Uh, and we're not on AM or FM radio. <laughs> um, so my junior year, Kyle senior year, we play at Carbondale. We're the top two teams in the league. Um, I tell you what, we didn't like each other, but respected each other. Um, and so those teams at SIU were uh, Jermaine Dearman and uh, Brad Korn and, um, uh, oh my gosh, Kent Williams. Kent Williams was their point guard and really, really good player. Uh, Jermaine Dearman was a really solid player. Um, I say Brad Korn because Brad Korn, would, he wouldn't do anything against anybody else all year and then come in and hit threes from the corner against us. Uh, but anyway, so we're playing on the road and at SIU in that, you know, facility built in 1864, uh, it's this round building, very similar to, to Wichita state. And the student section was behind, there was two student sections, one behind each basket, actually, when, when they got a lot of students there. And, you know, this is a big game. It's late in the season, I think in February and, um, you know, a lot on the line for this. And one, and we, you know, of course we come out an hour before the game to initial shoot around. The SIU kids have been drinking since the, you know, before the sun came up, right? And they're hammered. And, uh, and clearly they're just allowing alcohol into the building, even though they're not supposed to because it's an on-campus facility, whatever. And they're super duper loud. They, you know, come out and do us. Anyway, the story that I'm, I'm, I'm getting to here is, one end of the court, as we're in ups, starts yelling, Corver sucks. The other end of the court, in response to Corver sucks, yells, Corver swallows. And they alternate, Corver sucks, Corver swallows. Oh my God. So, yeah, it was, uh, <clears throat> it was uh, pretty off color. Same game, uh, a, a student in uh, from the Salukis, uh, student section got into Kyle's dad's face, Kevin Corver, who's a pastor, okay, yelling profanities in Kevin's face. And 
And I have so much respect for Kevin Corver in so many ways. Um, and this was a great, great reflection of it. And he just turned to the, to the, to the kid and said, I will pray for you, young man. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah. That so, I mean, yeah. people people in Carbondale need some Jesus in their life, so that's probably the best yeah. response. And by the way, you uh, you're not in bad company. Both of my parents went to SIU. So well, yeah, my mom is an SIU grad. So and my grandfather is. He actually I, I stayed with him for a couple months during the pandemic when it first started, just taking care of him and everything. And he's like, I want to I want to take you on a drive down to Carbondale and show you everything. I was like, okay, <laughs> we'll go. I spent a, a whole afternoon on the Carbondale campus, and let me tell oh, you right what, I, I wish I could, uh, I wish I could get that, I wish I could get that afternoon back. It was good to spend time with Grandpa, but uh, man, I would literally would not be on this earth if it was not for Carbondale, Illinois. So I'm grateful <laughs> for Carbondale for me. Oh, that's that's great. Well, Brody, this has been a great conversation, man. Really appreciate you coming on. Like I said, we'll have to invite you on maybe maybe next season when things kick back in, we can get you on for another episode and we can talk more about your uh, your Creighton career and break down some more Jays basketball. It's going to be really interesting to see where this team is at next year, see who comes back after the season is over with this great incoming class that we have. There's going to be a lot to talk about. So we will catch up hopefully with you here soon. But uh, like I said, thanks for coming on. We really appreciate it. You bet, fellas. 